Chapter 2. Something East of the Canal. Most of the people who talked to me about the Bel Air Cove Motel were afraid of being labeled racist. And I get why. Southampton, New York, is a wealthy white town. And the people living at the Bel Air, the people getting kicked out of their home, they're mostly poor immigrants. Uh, I'm looking for Rich, I think. Yeah. You Rich? Who are you? Uh, Charles Lane, the reporter. Oh, Charles Lane. Yeah, I'm Rich. Yeah. Yes. Pleasure to meet you. This question of racism is why I got in touch with Rich Jocelyn. Showed up in his driveway, actually. He's going on a deli run, and he lets me come along. I want to talk to Rich because he knows a lot of the people involved in closing the Bel Air, and he would know their motives. This is called the Yellow Uber. <laughs> Everybody in town knows who I am with this truck. As we make our way through town, Rich takes me through all the reasons why he loves Hampton Bays. How he grew up here, started a family. There's pride in the way that he talks about his career as a teacher at the same school where his dad taught. And we grew up here riding our bikes all over Hampton Bays, and it was a very, very small community, and everybody knew everybody. And back... This is Rich's one and only home, and while he likes to focus on the good, he doesn't shy away from the bad. Uh, yeah, well, we can get your uh, your lunch. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to hold no, you up. Like as we step out of the car and walk into the deli, he starts talking about immigration and how starting in the '90s, a huge number of Hispanic families started moving to Hampton Bays. And some of the people were resentful of the fact that. We have to hire teachers who can speak Spanish or they have to take a Spanish course and everything has to be done in two languages and, and some of the people... Rich accepted the change. As a teacher, his job was to educate regardless of where the student was born, but some people felt otherwise. Do you remember a specific moment that stood out as, as emblematic of this resentment? Yeah, I, I had a couple of friends who would just say, they would go off on a little rant and say, you know, they're all here illegally they're all they're not paying taxes and we're educating their kids and they're getting free this free that and you know we'd be sitting in a social setting and I'd look at them and I just shake my head I don't respond anymore I've run across my fair share of bigotry in the Hamptons and early on in my reporting I wondered if this was the reason why the property was closing are the people at the Bel Air losing their home because they're immigrants For Rich, he says that there's a lot more to the story. It's not just racism. But he says he's not the right person to ask. Instead, I should go to the man who started the campaign to close the Bel Air, a guy by the name of Mike Dunn. Mike, Mike just got frustrated and said, look, I'm beating a dead horse here, and these people, I'm telling them what's going on, and they refuse to listen because I think in their minds, they just didn't know what to do with the people. You know, you, could, you just can't vacate a place of 50, 60 people and say, okay, now, goodbye. Last episode, I introduced the Bel Air Cove Motel. This rundown property in the Hamptons is home to a group of immigrants from Central America. Oh, mi nombre es María Arce. Uh, soy de Costa Rica. <laughs> Tengo 60 años. Sometimes my mom say, you, for, you forgot Costa Rica. I say, no, I born there. But this country give me 
all the best I have. The people who live here are now being forced to leave, even though they power the local economy. What's the worst case scenario? Like, like, the worst case uh, scenario is that the place burns down with everybody in it, and that's what the town was trying to avoid. It doesn't mean that I don't have the right to find a, a house in the place I like. Now, I'm going to introduce you to the people who campaigned to close the Bel Air. I said, are you really and seriously sitting outside of houses and counting children getting on the bus? And they said, how else do you think we're getting this information? Okay, do you remember who said that? Mike Dunn. From WSHU Public Radio, I'm Charles Lane, and this is Everytown. to an automatic voice message system. Michael Dunn. Is not available. Mike Dunn's name came up in almost every interview that I did about the Bel Air. Hey Mike, Charles Lane, WSHU. Uh, just calling to check to see if you have time to speak this week. I'm going to be in Hampton Bay. I actually spoke to Mike on the phone once. He said, sure, he'd love to do an interview. He told me that the story of the Bel Air is like a novel that he almost wants to write himself so many twists and dirty tricks in it. But whenever I called, it went straight to voicemail. Hey, Michael, this is uh, Charles Lane, WSHU. Finally, I decided to block my caller ID. This trick typically only works once, and I'm not a big fan of doing it, but I really needed to get Mike's side of things. Hello? Hey, is this Mike? Yes, Hey, Mike, this is Charles Lane, the reporter with WSHU. How are you? Good, how are you? Good. I'm still working on that story. The phone line is really bad, but honestly, I'm grasping at straws here. Yeah, no, I, I really don't want to uh, get involved. I, you know, I moved out of there, and uh, I, I'm done with it. You know, I'm done with Hampton Bays, so. Why are you done with Hampton Bays? I, because I moved out of there. I left, you know, I moved, and I, you know, I just don't have any more interest. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's my past. This is surprising, because the first time that we talked, Mike went on about how much he loved Hampton Bays. He grew up here, ran a building company in town. His kids went to the same high school as he did. In fact, Mike was so invested in Hampton Bays that he poured years of his life into battling with the town when Main Street started to change. You know, when we first started this, uh, I told people, I said, listen, I am going for, I don't want any names. I want an, I want numbers. I want addresses. I want uh, the amount of kids coming from the school. I don't care if the name is Smith or Rodriguez. It did not matter to me at all. And I said every- Mike called his group Concerned Citizens of Hampton Bays, or CCHB for short. The focus of their campaign were these homes and motels and apartments that he says were violating the town codes. This includes the Bel Air and other properties home to mostly immigrants. Okay. But, I mean, going into it, like you were, and other people told me this, like, like you were very conscious of the fact that this could easily be skewed as anti-Latino. Oh, yes. Of course. Yeah. Of course I did. Of course I was aware of that. Yes. And so how, walk me through, like, like, if, if 90% of all of the, all of these folks are Latino, how is it not anti-Latino? Because it's based on legal living conditions across the board. And, you know, it's a fine line to walk. 
but that's it's it's the hotels being used illegally and it's the housing being used illegally. When Mike says legal living conditions, he's referring to several issues, but the main one is overcrowding. Lawyers will debate this, but Mike's view is that the town code explicitly states that only two adults can sleep in one bedroom. Mike suspected people were violating this rule, and since the town wasn't doing anything about it, he took matters into his own hands. I think, and, and some people were, were really upset about the photographing of, of the children. That that we never photo, never photographed children. Never had to photograph children. Of all the accusations against CCHB, this is the one that people had the strongest reaction to. Eric Yolate is the property manager at the Bel Air. He says this was the most unfair thing that happened against the Bel Air. Oh, okay. I have a couple people saying that that uh, you did. And in fact, I think Mike goes on. He qualifies his answer. He says he never took photos and then mentions another member of CCHB. Again, the audio is hard to hear. That at a meeting that uh, I believe, believe uh, Scotto said that uh, we, have, uh, we have people who have have photographed, uh, you know, buses, you know, at, you know, at bus stops and stuff, but uh, we have never, and or have never photographed a bus or, or, or a child or anything like that. I know that there were some internal squabbles within CCHB, but honestly, I don't have time to pin Mike down on this. He could hang up on me at any moment. He does acknowledge that some group members would stake out properties to count how many kids live there, but... That wasn't part of CCHB's official strategy. I've had reports of that. You know, we've had reports of that of people coming to me with that. And I was like, you know, I really don't care because that's just hearsay. I based all my information on statistics based on cross-referencing housing numbers and motel numbers, town records. That's all. That's the only way you can prove something. Honestly, I'm surprised that Mike stayed on the phone with me this long. Most CCHB members don't. Still... I have more questions about how and why the Bel Air is closing. So I try scheduling another interview, ideally not on a crappy phone line. Mike, I really, I, I, I think it's really important that you contribute to this. Um, I, it, I, I would be scared if you didn't. Um, but uh, I'll give you a call back on Thursday and hopefully we can set something up. Okay, great. Okay, thank you, Mike. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. We never talk again. Had Mike been more willing, I would have asked him if everyone in CCHB was against photographing or counting kids, and whether overcrowding is perhaps a euphemism for something else. So I had to find someone else who was there. One name I was given was Joyce King. The problem with Joyce is the address on her tax records didn't seem to exist in real life. I park my car at the next address and start wandering around this neighborhood of manicured lawns and immaculate swimming pools. Tucked in between two huge houses, I find a hidden, newly paved driveway. It's long, and it bends into a forest of pine and cedar trees, ending at an iron gate. Hello. Hi, I'm looking for uh, Joyce or Joe. 
Yeah, it's Joe King. Hi, Joe. My name's Charles Lane. I'm a reporter. Her husband buzzes me in. As I walk towards the house, a woman and two dogs emerge from the front door. Uh, Hi, I'm Joyce. Uh, uh, Charles Lane. Hi, Charles. I left my IDs and business cards in the, uh, in the In Joyce's living room, a TV plays Fox News. We go to the kitchen, and on the counter is a copy of the New York Times. You're at the beach. You can have an acre of property. You have friendly neighbors. Joyce was born in Ellsworth, Pennsylvania. Population, 800. She moved to Hampton Bays because it reminded her of her hometown. Plus, the open space and friendly neighbors. To Joyce and her husband Joe, this was their dream town. Because it was a break from the city. The weather is better. It's more pleasant. The people are much friendlier. It was just fun. What started as weekend getaways turned into entire summers spent at the beach. It was like they were part of the community. But at some point, things changed. A lot of it had to do with code enforcement. The main street businesses were run down. The homes were starting to run down. There appeared to be group homes. There appeared to be too many people living in one house. And nobody was paying attention to any of it. When Joyce drives through town, she sees four TV antennas on a single home or a dozen cars parked in the drive. These signs of, quote, overcrowding mean one thing to her taxes. More people translates to more children, which means more kids in the school and a bigger tax bill. If the population in the school goes up, the budget for the school goes up, and the majority of the taxes out here are based on the school system. That carries the large... Over time, these feelings harden into a realization. Unless something changes, you'll have to leave. No more summers on the beach, no more weekend getaways. And it turns out Joyce isn't alone in feeling this. And was this a video? No, it was just a a one-page notice hung up somewhere. It might have even been in the grocery store. I really don't remember. Oh, okay. So it was a piece of paper. It was yes, and it was at the very, very beginning. At the very beginning of Concerned Citizens of Hampton Bays. CCHB. They express this same frustration with taxes. On this flyer was the information for one of their meetings at the public library. And it was like a small conference room. There was one table in the middle of it, 10 people. So Joyce goes to check it out. And who all was there? Well, I remember Mike Dunn. That was about the only person I remember. Mike Dunn. Mike is just the most level-headed person in the world. He has more knowledge than I will ever have on these issues. He knew how to present the issues without becoming emotional, and he would just stick with the facts. Mike makes sense of all of Joyce's frustrations, and he sells her on the solution, more stringent code enforcement. If the town did a better job of policing its codes, people wouldn't be living like sardines. They'd have to get an apartment or a home, which would mean fewer kids in the school, and a smaller tax bill. So it all made sense. It was all tied together. She signs up. She becomes one of CCHB's most active volunteers, passes out flyers, organizes fundraisers. That was just an idea I came up with that I thought would work. And data. What was the, what was the goal? Like, what gave you that idea? I had worked mail fraud for a number of years and knew how to put numbers together and how to process data, and I did. 
Joyce's plan is to pressure the town, get them to ramp up code enforcement by outlining exactly how widespread overcrowding is. We talked about pollution. We talked about hotels being allowed to... Joyce combs through tax records. She has people driving around town and texting her addresses with possible signs of overcrowding. We would take pictures of four antennas on top of a two-bedroom house. We would take pictures of six mailboxes in front of a two-bedroom house. Pictures. CCHB was conducting surveillance. Erica told me about kids living at the Bel Air and how they'd come home in tears because of this, that they were afraid to go to school. People told me that um, they either saw uh, people following school buses and, 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 and photographing children or that they did, in fact, do this. Again, not to my knowledge at all, and that none of those pictures were ever sent to me. Here's what I know so far. The people at the Bel Air say someone is taking pictures of kids. Mike Dunn says photographing kids isn't part of the official CCHB campaign. What is part of the official CCHB campaign, according to Joyce, is taking photos of people's homes. You're going to have to work this into your own personal creepy scale. For Joyce, photographing kids is inappropriate, but counting them is okay. It wasn't so much let's count the children. What the, the issue was, let's look at an address that we know has students, which is fine, but if the population of that address exceeds the number of people permitted by law to live there, then we needed to raise an issue with people. We actually found To me, the logic here is a bit difficult to parse. Joyce is saying it's not about counting the kids, yet she also says it's the number of children overwhelming the school and making her taxes go up. Purely from a PR perspective, that seems like a difficult argument to make. She's saying, your kids are fine, just not the cost to educate them. Still, that's Joyce's plan. She creates a folder for each overcrowded house. She gets so many folders that she has to run to Staples to buy milk crates to store them. One milk crate turns into two and then three. Her portrait of overcrowding in Hampton Bays grows until she has six milk crates stacked in her study. Okay, you're talking about like a huge, like you're gonna, you're gonna make your case to the town. Like you had a folder with pictures and... and we had folders for over 300 homes. And there was a thought process that possibly someday we could just wheel them into town hall and say, here, we have a problem. CCHB gets a meeting at town hall Joyce leaves the milk crates at home and instead prints out spreadsheets. She, along with Mike, hand them around the room. There's maybe 12 or 16 people there, all seated around a conference table. Mike just put together the information, explained why we were there, explained what he saw the Mike takes the lead. He explains the case. Joyce watches. The town officials, they shrug. Have you ever watched a politician's facial expressions? They're, They're pretty neutral. They wait for you to finish, and then they give you a very neutral line that says nothing. And, and it, that's, that's, I guess, what happened? Like, oh, we heard a lot of nothing. All this data entry, the milk crates stacked in her study, the meetings, fundraisers, this community that Joyce loved, it was all met with a hollow thud. They would just all say, yes, we'll look into that. That's a good point. 
Well, telling me I raised a good point and you're going to look into it doesn't tell me anything. Tell me what you'd like to do about it. Tell me to come back in three weeks and we'll have further discussions and you'll have some recommendations. None of that ever occurred. People told me that after these meetings, Mike felt dejected, that he wanted to quit. Joyce, she did quit. And we sold the house in Hampton Bays in 2014. And the reason we sold it is that we were going to be taxed out of the place. We knew that. The taxes just kept going up and up. Joyce ends up moving 20 minutes down the road. Her new house is gorgeous. There's an outdoor kitchen next to a pool and an immaculate lawn. In fact, the landscapers just showed up to mow it. The main difference is she no longer pays for the kids at the Bel Air. She still pays the same in taxes. It's just now she has a nicer house. What is like a... But you get flowers. Thank you very much. Who is that from? I don't know. You got flowers, girl. No, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) You heard Tiffany Scarlato in the last episode. She used to be the Southampton town attorney. Now she's in private practice doing high-end real estate where clients send flowers after transactions. I wanted to get her take on these meetings that Joyce was in. Also, there's this nagging question of why is the Bel Air closing if Joyce and Mike's meeting with the town was such a bust? It turns out CCHB actually had a number of meetings with town officials. Was there a a woman there by the name of Joyce King? Not that I recall, although I do recall that name. Tiffany was sometimes there. Actually, she might have been one of those placid-faced politicians that Joyce spoke so unkindly of. The tone was rather hostile from the very beginning. From Tiffany's view, Mike isn't asking the town for help. He's demanding it. I think it was pretty apparent that I was slightly uncomfortable with the methodology that they were using for counting people in houses and how they were extrapolating that information from the number of children that got on a bus. And then how did did he respond? Um, This is the number of people that are living in the house. Fix it. But beyond Mike's tone, Tiffany has issues with the very core of CCHB's mission. I think the interesting part of the story is the metamorphosis of the organization and and its real motivations. Because she says that their issue wasn't actually about overcrowding or code enforcement or even taxes. And it became clear that there was an undercurrent there that it wasn't necessarily about taxes all the time um, and that it was about a certain segment of the community there. Well... To be honest, I don't know if that undercurrent is as clear to me as it is to you. So how is it, what made it clear to you? The types of houses that were on the list there, I don't recall there being any white families on that list. Another signal was at a public meeting where CCHB laid out their agenda before the town board. A community member actually stood up and said, I don't know why we can't just give these people $100 each and put them on a bus and drop them. Someone, possibly a member of CCHB, asked the town board why they couldn't send Latino immigrants to another town on Long Island. And it became very apparent to me at that point that it was not necessarily about taxes. Because what they were saying was basically gather up all of those people, 
put them on a bus and see how you like it out on your end of the island. Just to reiterate, this is Tiffany's opinion. I've spoken with lots of members of CCHB who categorically refute the idea that they're a bunch of racists. But I went home to watch for myself this public hearing that she was talking about. Thank you, Town Board. Thank you, Town Board. My name is Michael Dunn. I'm the president of the Concerned Citizens of Hampton Bays and co-chair of the Hampton Bays CAC. This is actually the first time I've seen Mike. He looks like someone who has swung a lot of hammers in his life. He's wearing a button-up shirt with a misshaped collar. He stands at the podium reading from a script. He seems frustrated. Behind him, stretching through the audience gallery and out the front door, are dozens of other CCHB members waiting for their turn. About two and a half years ago, our CCHB group provided the town with the first of two detailed spreadsheets that clearly showed the abuses that we are facing. We had monthly meetings with the super- As I watch, I lean in. I keep an eye out for what Tiffany says, that at any moment, someone could say something that shows the group's true intentions, what CCHB is really about. But Mike sticks to his script. It's just about taxes, overcrowded homes, town codes going unenforced. Same for the next guy who comes to the podium. When I first came here, my taxes were half of what they are now, and that's 12 years ago. When is it going to stop? One woman gestures her hand in frustration at the loss of collaboration between the town of Southampton and Hampton Bays. The next man is so fed up with this divide that he says people are ready for armed rebellion. But he says it with a shrug, as if what he's really saying is, you don't care about us. All all, all this, uh, if the town decides they don't want to enforce the laws, maybe there should be a way that they can compensate Hampton Bays supporting all the all the uh, illegals that are uh, living in our town and, and are going taking advantage of our... A couple of other people refer to immigrants as illegals or aliens, words that most consider offensive. I wonder if this is when the hairs start to rise on the back of Tiffany's neck. And do you know what your scores are going to be in Hampton Bays? Probably amongst the lowest in the country because they don't speak English. Then there's John... He's tall and trim, glasses, mid-60s. Whereas everyone else reads from a script, John is waving his arms around and putting on a show like it's his own Thanksgiving Day dinner table. I think he might be the guy who Tiffany said wants to bus immigrants out of town. If this board doesn't act quickly, I think some of these people might just contribute to a few buses and we could bring in some homeless from New York City and Philadelphia. Give them a week in the Hamptons, Stag Harbor, Bridgeham. Just turn them loose in the street. Give them $100 each. I could afford that. I don't mind doing that. And they'll smell real good. And when the tourists come in... I've re-listened to this clip a number of times, trying to make sense of it. I think Tiffany misremembers it. I don't think he's talking about shipping immigrants. I think he's making a threat... I think he's saying that if anyone should pay more in taxes to support immigrants, it should be the wealthy, the people who hire the immigrants as nannies and landscapers. If this doesn't happen, and this is his threat, he'll bus homeless people into their neighborhoods. This threat may sound a little bizarre, but it's actually quite revealing. It suggests that he sees undocumented immigrants as dirtying Hampton Bays. They drive down the street with their pickup trucks. They throw their beer cans on the lawns. 
They throw their McDonald's and their other stuff. And we have to pick it up. Me and my neighbors go out with bags and pick up the garbage once a week. I'm sick of that. And then I got to pay the dumping. Of everyone who spoke, this guy ventured furthest into xenophobia. He was an outlier, but he also received applause. Have a nice day. Hi there, this is Rima Dial, WSHU station manager, taking a break this afternoon, uh, putting together a snack for myself and making some iced tea. Um, and while I'm doing that, I just wanted to take a quick opportunity to say thank you for listening to this phenomenal podcast. But I also wanted to let you know that we rely on your support to keep stories and news and music on the air. Please consider making a gift now at WSHU.org. And thanks again for all of your support. Take care. A lot of people in the Hamptons are embarrassed by CCHB. They call them racist and xenophobic. Their argument is you can't just call an entire group of people dirty. But if this is all you're looking for, I think you're going to miss a really interesting part of CCHB's argument. It even has a name the Shinnecock Canal. This 40-foot gap of water connects the Peconic Bay to the north with the Atlantic Ocean to the south. It also splits the town of Southampton in more ways than one. It's quiet, sheltered from the wind. Hola. Um, Puedo uh, grabar la la sonida de tu uh, equipo? Uh, Okay. Here, on the west side of the canal, a lot of families come to fish. That's why I like to come in here. It's quiet. You can stay here to midnight, you know. It doesn't draw the typical wealthy Hampton tourists. Although, to get here, you do have to drive through their golf course. And you can see their estates in the distance, across the canal, on the east side. The houses are so massive, they look like they're floating on the water. People often refer to the Shinnecock Canal as an imperfect analogy for class divide in the Hamptons. To the west, you have the workers and the middle class. To the east, you have the wealthy. One side has the Bel Air, the other side has the mansions. The mansions attract workers with jobs. A lot of them come from Central America. But the houses across the canal They don't pay to educate the children. Even though they bring in the workers, they technically aren't part of Hampton Bay's tax base. The Shinnecock Canal paints a more complicated picture of wealth in the Hamptons. It's not as attention-grabbing as simply calling CCHB a bunch of racists, but it does hint at just how deep this divide over the Bel Air and immigration really is. How are you today? Looking for uh, Dennis in Maryland? Yeah. You're Dennis? Yeah. Okay. My name's Charles Rain. Marilinda and Dennis Viana 
live on the west side of Shinnecock Canal. They used to be members of CCHB, and I found their names at the bottom of a box of petitions that the group submitted to town hall. One day, I show up in their front yard while Dennis is raking leaves. A lot of people thought we were against the immigrants. Mm -hmm. But in reality, what we were looking at was why the school taxes were so high. Mm -hmm. And and that's what we were fighting. Then Marilinda comes out the front door. She looks like a boomer version of punk with spiky gray hair and purple eyeglasses. Well, we don't mind these people. I'm going to say these people. (laughs) You know, everybody's trying to get through in life. At this point, I still have no clue how CCHB went from getting dismissed by the town to getting the Bel Air closed. So I'm trying to entice both Dennis and Marilinda to do an interview to help fill in these gaps. You know, I I have run across a lot of bigotry around here, but I don't think that's the complete story. And so that's the story I'm trying to tell. I mean, who's really being bigoted is over there. Marilinda lifts her hand and points east across the canal. Because they're the NIMBYs. Not in my backyard. Take them all in, right? Yeah. Let them work for cheap labor. Send them back here. Part of the reason For us to educate them. Eventually, the Viennas invite me into their home, and they tell me the reason why they joined CCHB. To Dennis, it was like the town of Southampton was only paying attention to the east side of the canal. Over the years, it just seems like they treat Hampton Bays as second-class citizens. For the Viennas, this feeling of neglect predates the Bel Air. Sometimes at the uh, board meetings, they're asleep, you know, when we get up there. I do. Or, or they shake their head. They just shake their heads, yes, but nothing ever gets accomplished. Yeah, you feel voiceless, is that? Yes, absolutely. The Vianas say that the only voice that the town does listen to is on the east side of the canal. And all of the uh, politicians, you know, the Pelosi's and the Maxine Waters who've gotten theirs, okay, They lump the liberal elites in with the people on the east side of the canal, the celebrities and the CEOs who give the Hamptons its reputation of wealth and power. And that's what's going on. So as long as you live in a lily-white community, you are happy. So for the Viennas, CCHB was a last-ditch effort to get the town's attention. And that's probably what demoralized a lot of people, even Mike, I think. Mm-hmm. It, it, uh, he put a lot of time and effort in. And, and when that didn't work, when they got shot down as being a bunch of racists, Dennis says Mike came up with a new idea. He was going to run for the school board. I think Mike decided it on his own, and then when he came... This is significant, because up until this point... CCHB had to fund its own campaign out of their own pockets. So we didn't have a lot of information, and we thought, Mike, this is a good idea. Get on the school board and, you know. He wins. Suddenly, Mike's not voiceless anymore. He has a school district, the school's lawyers, a $40 million budget, and the Bel Air as a target. Next on every town. Some people thinking person to live here is like a 
no important people. And the more important is we are people. You're, you're describing it as like a, some sort of invader. No, not at all. Not at all. But when we can't comment, you're, you're putting people in a position who don't have the authority to speak. That would be completely and utterly false. I'll, I'll be the first to tell you right now, I have never gloated on serving anyone. This story was written and produced by Max Wasserman and edited by Ann Lopez. Fact-checking by Gabby Pardo. It's reported by myself, Charles Lane. For more information, visit our webpage, everytownpodcast.org. There, you can sign up for our email list and get the latest developments with the Bel Air 